Hello, welcome to the Digital Insights Outlook podcast. I'm Gina Daniel-Lee, Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Partnerships here at Stratix. Today, we're talking about something that is often really difficult to get right, and that is mobile solution design. I think this topic is very relevant today and one that will resonate with many of our listeners. Our guest today is our very own Director of Mobile Solutions Architecture, my good friend, Depesh Hinduja. Depesh is great at what he does. Creating solutions that delight in users and deliver on business goals is Depesh's passion. Lucky for us, he's agreed to share his knowledge with us today. Hi, Depesh. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today on the podcast. Hello, Gina. So why don't we start by having you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. First off, thanks for having me today. I, like you said, I love talking about this stuff, uh, and I, I very much appreciate the chance to share my knowledge with the people out there. Uh, I myself have been in mobility since the early 2000s, uh, deploying Wi-Fi at universities and working with cellular providers on the first laptops with SIM cards in them, and have been doing mobility projects to enable business outcomes ever since then. Um, here at Stratix, I focus on working with our customers in all different verticals and making sure we gather the right requirements to put together a solution that actually solves the problem and is sustainable for them into the future. Very good. So let's jump right into some questions around solution design. When we as consumers want a new mobile device, it's easy to just go visit a store and buy one, right? But many enterprise scale organizations have learned the hard way that something off the shelf just won't work for them. Depesh, why is it important that enterprise customers really invest significant time in properly planning out their mobility projects? That's a great question, Gina. The first thing I would say is that when it comes to business mobility and more importantly, revenue impacting mobility, there's no room to have downtime. When you start to have your business depend upon mobile technologies for their main source of transaction, whether it be a mobile POS or it be the safety uh, checklist on a train or it be the charts that they need to do their job as they're flying a plane in the sky, Having that mobile device fail has real consequences to the customer experience, to the employee experience, and definitely to the bottom line. That's why it's so important that more than just getting a device in the end user's hands is thought through when doing an enterprise mobility project. An entire life cycle needs to be mapped out for that entire mobility program to ensure the right experiences and the right outcomes. And, and then what are some areas that need to be considered and what are high level steps that are really critical in this planning process? Absolutely, so in, at Stratix, we utilize multiple frameworks in everything we do to ensure we, we deliver a high quality program multiple times. Within those frameworks, we have things like the program lifecycle, the project lifecycle, the mobility stack. Uh, we utilize things like connectivity, hardware experience and support, uh, OS configurations, apps, UI, end user support, 
device support, platform support, peripherals, all these different components together into our frameworks to make sure we're delivering a complete solution that will be able to satisfy the business need. Uh, a good example of this is it's not enough to just deploy the device, but you also have to know, first off, how you're going to procure the device. And at the end of the life, how are you going to get that device out of the field? So thinking about through these entire lifecycle frameworks and going through the entire stack of what they're going to be utilizing in the field is very important. So what about end user experience? How important is that? Oh, end user experience we find to be uh, key, especially at deployment for adoption of new technologies. Uh, I'll focus on, you know, at deployment in particular, when an end user has to be able to adopt this device to do their job, if it is any more difficult than what they were doing previously, there's a high likelihood they're gonna find a way to work around it. So end user experience at deployment is all about making them feel comfortable and educated, as well as making sure they understand the benefits to themselves and to the business for using this new technology. But then beyond that, I think it's equally important that they feel that they are supported in the long run. If an end user doesn't feel that they have uh, a quick response to a problem with the device, again, they're gonna say, I could just go back to my old way of doing things. I'm gonna put this aside. I'm gonna put it in a drawer and I'm gonna forget about it. But when they know they could call up somebody and get a good answer to their questions, or they could get a replacement device when theirs happens to break for things I'm sure wasn't their fault, uh, then they're more, dependent on and more willing to utilize effectively the technology being put into their hands. I completely agree. You know, Depeche, at Stratix, we talk a lot about enterprise customers needing a comprehensive mobility plan or blueprint, as we call it, right? What are some of the elements that actually make up this plan? Absolutely. The, the blueprint does, it changes a bit from customer to customer. Obviously we have to work within their enterprise and tailor that blueprint to them. But the vast majority of our customers, it really focuses around the program life cycle. How are they going to procure devices in a repeatable and scalable way where they get the best benefit from their relationships, uh, whether that is through leasing vehicles or uh, the way that they arrange their capital budgets to ensure that they have devices coming in on predictable schedules, uh, to how they deploy the devices. Uh, having one program go out where maybe the device is shipped to the end user's um, home address, but another program go out where they may have to go into the office to pick it up. These sorts of things can work, but they could also create complexities for the organization to manage. Um, then going into, of course, how these devices are supported, I think that is a real key area for the blueprint. Again, getting back to the consistency and the support and the end user experience, if the end user knows they're supported in a predictable way from whatever project they're doing, um, whether it be today they're stocking shelves to tomorrow they're driving a truck to the day after they may be uh, you know, doing some training. If they've got a consistent experience in how they get support in all of those scenarios, then they get a, a better confidence in the company and the teams running what they're doing. Uh, and then of course, at the end of life, like I said before, how that recovery of value is done. 
some programs try and run a device into the ground and then they end up finding out that they've created a security vulnerability because the device is too old and no longer supported. While other programs have a good end of life mapped out, that sort of in inconsistency, you know, not following a blueprint, that could create problems where a company thinks that they are solid, that they've got a good plan going forward, but then they run into this security issue that they really, they thought they had found a way around. You know, Stratix is really known um, and has, has a really good reputation in the industry because of our ability to help customers scale. But rolling out a mobile solution at scale can often be difficult, right? Share with our listeners a little bit um, about why. Absolutely. First off, uh, I know, and I, I don't mean to in any way disparage any of the OEM products or programs out there, but they do create a sense of, I could just ship this device out there into the field and my scale is going to come through the number of devices I ship to the number of end users. Each end user will get one device and they'll go through it and it's fine. Uh, and that's, it's a nice thought. It's just not complete for the enterprise market. For the enterprise market, that perception does play into the way the CIOs, the CEOs will perceive where they're putting their money. But when it comes down to the reality of it, there's so much more that goes into making a device ready for the end user, whether that is asset management or prepping that device so that the end user gets the device and they're not spending their valuable time working on the device or working with the device, or it's making sure that they've got the right infrastructure in place and the end user is able to utilize that device effectively. These are all things that make it very hard to scale, you know, going from the perception going to the end user experience and making sure that is effective as possible. And then also making sure you've got the infrastructure in place and understanding what that infrastructure is to deploy. So internally to Stratix and externally to our customers, Depeche, you are truly known as a mobility subject matter expert. So what advice do you give companies when it comes to selecting mobile devices for mobile projects? Sure. Uh, you know, I will talk about a little bit of evolution in my own perspective here. Um, I would have said five years ago, maybe eight years ago, very much pick the right mobile device for the, for the use case at hand. Uh, that was a lot of single purpose devices going out into the field because they enabled the end users to feel very comfortable in doing their job with exactly the right look and feel, the right tools. You know, if they were going to be doing a lot of scanning, they had a trigger on there to make sure that that scanning was as quick and as efficient as possible. Over the time, though, I have seen so many devices in our customers' environments that the end user ended up interacting with maybe three, four, five even devices throughout the course of their regular workday. And Devices as in general have become so much more capable that now I recommend talking about the associate, the end user having only one device. Getting a device that could do everything that that end user is likely to do in their workday and do it effectively, though maybe not exactly the best. So understanding the trade-offs. If a end user is going to do maybe some light scanning in their day, it's not 100% of their job, 
well, maybe having a camera-based scanner is okay as opposed to having a laser or an imager-based scanner. Uh, if the end user is going to be um, traveling in a truck and uh, that's where they're going to be doing some of their work, maybe having a lower cost device that is cellular capable is a better trade-off than having a more capable Wi-Fi only device at that same price point. So those sorts of trade-offs I think right now are becoming more and more important, focusing on the end user experience and trying to get them to a single device uh, but of course, there are still cases where the exact right device for the exact right use case, use case is important. Efficiency does matter. That's great perspective. So let's shift and talk a little bit about testing. End user acceptance testing, change management. Why, why is testing so important? End user acceptance testing, I find to be very important. Um, because a lot of times, we've seen this a lot in the past where a problem is being solved in the ivory tower, so to speak, because maybe somebody sees an efficiency that they could gain on a spreadsheet, but when they put it in the end user's hands, it's not fully baked or it doesn't follow what the end user is used to doing or the end user wasn't trained on it. And so they say, yeah, I understand that Mr. Ivory Tower Architect, you are getting benefited out of this. Maybe even my managers are, but where's the benefit to me? So end user acceptance testing is very much about getting them to understand that by providing feedback on the experience. To get a few key testers, a few representatives that could talk for their, for their profession, for their roles, then they're able to provide that feedback that will make the experience better for all of them. Um, the other elements I'll throw out there is, you know, a lot of times what we see is that they, the end user acceptance testing brings out areas that weren't thought about because they're not the normal path. I'll give the example of a flight atten attendant has broken their device and they need to get a loaner in a hurry. We could, we could design something where you know, if we didn't actually live that flight attendant's life, we would say, okay, we'll send out that loaner, it'll be there in 30 minutes. Well, that flight attendant may be hurrying for a plane. How do you make it so that 30 minutes is not even acceptable? You have to get that flight attendant a device to do their job in 10 minutes. Those sorts of oddities, um, exception paths come out when you do testing along with the end users in play. Uh, another one I like to talk about here around end user testing is um, we put, you know, we were doing a POC, we put three pieces of equipment into uh, a landscaper's hands. He was out there working in the yard. And, and what we found is that one of those pieces of equipment was a very small payment device for him to be able to take payments in the yard. And he ended up dropping it and he, it fell into a plant and that plant ended up on a customer's truck and then that customer drove away with it. So we said, yeah, we really do need a way to tether that payment device to this person so that they could have it with them. It's still convenient, but they're not going to lose it as easy. So that sort of testing in the field with the actual end users, we find to be very important so that they could have a say in everything and they could show us where things are going to go wrong. That's a great example. So I'm curious too, does, does planning help with future proofing when it comes to mobile deploy deployments? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think these two things are synonymous where, again, talking about that end of life, future-proofing here, uh, a lot of times what we're talking about is making sure that in the future, there's not a security vulnerability, there's not an end of life that's unexpected, et cetera. So at the beginning of the planning cycle, considering what's going to happen when these devices are no longer going to be in support, how they're going to be taken out of the field, that becomes a very critical part about making sure your future is secure. The other element of future-proofing that I would talk about here is having some sort of idea of where this use case might evolve. We have a lot of customers that come to us today and they say, I need to solve this problem here in front of me. And we say, that's great. We absolutely could do that. Here's the device that would do that. But I want to add XYZ because we think that's going to enable you to have growth in the future with this same device. A lot of times the question becomes cost. I'll give example here again of a Wi-Fi only device. The Wi-Fi only device may be the right solution at the right time for that problem. But if you get it with a cellular capability, when the use case evolves or a new use case is added to that end user associate, now you don't have to give them a cell phone to go along with their Wi-Fi only handheld scanner. Their handheld scanner is the cell phone. And you've saved yourself the expense of having to have another device that you know could get lost, that they have to carry, et cetera, et cetera. So that thought of what could come in the future and picking a device today that will be able to potentially accommodate that is very critical. So as we're wrapping up here, how do you ensure that you, that you have a solution that is, quote, fully baked, and where is it repeatable and reliable? Frameworks. All about the frameworks that we use. Again, that program lifecycle, the device lifecycle, the device stack. These are the things that Stratix implements over and over again with success. And they do evolve, but we've implemented them with enough success over time that we know we could take it into the next customer and make sure that they get a solution today that will then be repeatable into the future. We have examples of this and you know, one of my favorite things to talk about right now is when mobile technology becomes so reliable and so easy to deploy that you could go from a mobile first mindset to a mobile only mindset. We have customers telling us today that mobile technology is so reliable for them. They've got such a good blueprint that's been tried and true over the past few years that they would rather deploy a mobile device or a mobile tablet, a phone. Uh, instead of a PC or instead of a custom-built uh, solution, because they know they're going to be able to support that mobile device, that mobile technology, more reliably than anything else into the future. And that's how I know the blueprints are working when mobile becomes the only thing they want to deploy. That's great insight, Depesh. So you've been on the podcast before. You know how <laughs> this ends, right? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go through a series of rapid fire questions. All right. Sure. So uh, you and I were talking a few weeks ago, and I uncovered the fact that you had lived in Australia. Why did you live there, and what were some of your favorite things about living in that country? Oh, a sense of adventure. <laughs> it's got to be right. Right. Uh, <laughs> reality is, you know, I was living here in the United States in Georgia. I was born and raised. Um, 
I always wanted to go to Australia and I never did. But my my wife that I married, she has a brother that's been living in Sydney for many years and, you know, got to be friends and, you know, more than just family, actually friends and talking about the lifestyle. And it seemed very inviting. So we went through the efforts of becoming Aussie citizens or sorry, Aussie um, permanent residents, which is not easy. It is definitely a merit based system, et cetera. Uh, and we, we just took a leap. We, we went with that sense of adventure and moved down there. Uh, and it really does live up to the experience that my brother-in-law talked about. Now, of course, there I did find out that, you know, some of that laid back, I'm just not a laid back person. So I'm not the beach bum that I wanted to be. You know, I thought Australia would make me that. It did not. But really, so much of the culture there is, first off, very similar to the United States, so very comfortable. Uh, but also laid back and so much opportunity and the people are so friendly. Uh, and the other thing I really liked about living in Australia uh, was that from Perth to Melbourne to Sydney to Brisbane, all of these are very big cities that have a lot of culture to them, but very different. The, the common thread through all of them was that the people were very friendly, that the experience was very good. Uh, but, you know, Sydney was like living in New York, whereas Melbourne was like living in maybe Toronto or San Francisco. Uh, and, you know, Perth was like, you know, nothing else. So it was just a, it was a great experience uh, living out there for I lived there for about three and a half years. I love that. That's great. So what about favorite summer activity? <laughs> Uh, well, this may make me seem like a little bit of a, a, a nerd or a geek or something, uh, but there's two things that me and my kids have been doing. So first off, obviously, the favorite summer activity is spending time with the kids. Uh, we have chosen over this past summer uh, puzzling and RC cars. So we have been spending a lot of time building very complex puzzles, and I've uh, gotten to the point where I'm doing some puzzles like I didn't think I would ever be able to do. And then on the other side of that, I got into with my little my little boy and actually more so with my teenage daughter uh, into RC cars. Turns out she's very much into racing. And so we love to go racing with RC cars. Danica Patrick, watch out. <laughs> exactly. So Depeche, within Stratix, you are definitely known as a superhero. But who <laughs> would you consider your favorite superhero? Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to go with this one, whether it's Superman with his natural gifts given to him by circumstance uh, or, you know, the, the, the more um, self-made man of Bruce Wayne, which really he's not self-made because he was a billionaire. But <laughs> I tend to favor the Batman, the Bruce Wayne, because I really believe, you know, Bruce Wayne, what I loved about it is he the story is that he goes off and he, he studies, he he lives the poor life. And he becomes in tuned to what the people really need. And he really improves himself to become the hero that they need. And I love that. It's, it's, he's not this great, perfect person who's going to always do the right thing. He has his bad stuff, uh, but he's really doing it for the right reasons. And I love that. I, lo I love that too. Depesh, thank you. I knew this would be a great conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And listeners, I want to thank you also for tuning in. If you like what you heard and would like more information 
or would like to sign up for future episodes, please visit stratixcorp.com slash DIO to subscribe. We'd also love it if you would rate and leave a review for any podcast that you listen to. I look forward to our next podcast together. Until then, goodbye.